Hello and welcome to Citizen Kane Minute, the show that examines the greatest film of all time, five minutes at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly. And joining me this week to discuss minutes five to ten of Citizen Kane is fellow podcaster Jerry Green. Hi, Jerry. Hey, Rob. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm very excited to talk to you. You and I have not podcasted together before, so this is a, an exciting yeah. journey that we are going on together in the uh, initial five to, five to ten minutes of, uh, of Citizen Kane here. Of course, I have to ask you the standard questions, mm-hmm. uh, and this is only episode two, so maybe people don't know it's going to be the standard questions, but this will be the standard <laughs> questions that I'm going to ask every guest uh, before we get to the actual minutes of this movie. So when did you first see Citizen Kane? Well, you know, it's funny because I was a... Uh, an old movie fan as a little kid, you know, I'd spend my time flipping channels when you had to sit in front of the TV and turn mm. a knob, turn the dial. And Citizen Kane is not a movie that really lends itself to casual watching. <laughs> True <laughs> enough. It jumps around. Uh, it could, it would get cut up for TV and, you know, let me just keep flipping and watch Godzilla or something. Um, and I love black and white horror uh, movies, particularly horror movies. And we only had a black and white TV, so that wasn't even a big deal. Cool. But it really wasn't until like the pre-blockbuster VHS days, right, when you had these these kind of mom and pop video rental stores, and it was a real great time to experiment um, in new movies, different movies that you'd never seen before. And it was on the shelf, supposedly a great movie, and uh, I picked it up. So. Um, it was, you know, mid eighties, I would say I was probably in college when I first saw it. Can you imagine, I never really thought of it until you just said it, but can you imagine, uh, this movie being distributed uh, to local syndicators? And that means that there was somebody out there who had the temerity to edit Citizen Kane. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's just cut this out. Right? What would you cut out? <laughs> we don't need that. The sled. Come on. What, yeah, yeah. what is that even? Come on. That. It's fine. We got to fit in three more commercials. That's fine. <laughs> wow. That takes some serious hooks, but to be like, well, I guess I got to edit Citizen Kane. <laughs> Not a problem. This, teach this Wells guy a thing or two about how to tighten up his movie a little bit. It's so confusing. So, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, I'm going to put it. Uh, maybe I'll straighten it out. I'll put it in order. That'll make more oh, sense. That would work. That would work. <laughs> so, <laughs> can you. Can can oh my I cannot can you now do you remember like when you first saw it all the way through what your response was obviously it made an impression yeah. on you it definitely did i loved it i absolutely loved it i've loved this movie ever since i first saw it um i think i like the it's like a puzzle that mm-hmm. you know you get little pieces along the way and you've got to fill in it's like doing a um one of these uh, paint by numbers where you just gradually fill in the story and by the time you get to the end you know you get it and this this movie is you know 50 or what how many years before pulp fiction did um pulp fiction was 94 so this is 41 so you're talking three years 53 years yeah and that was supposedly such a oh a narrative brilliantly narratively put together (laughs) who would have done such a thing that (laughs) that Quentin tarantino man what an innovator baby and the funny thing is is like as you know in the 80s as a you know 18 19 20 year old i knew who orson welles was sure but i didn't know why i knew him all yeah you know, he yep, did magic yep. tricks on the merv griffin show yeah 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 <laughs> and and it was seeing this seeing you know the third man seeing touch of evil that i was like this guy is amazing 
And I mentioned that in my intro in the first episode where I, like you, I was sort of, I was aware that Orson Welles was a famous person. Mm -hmm. And I certainly knew that Merv Griffin and Johnny Carson revered him because they would treat him like he was this legendary figure, which of course he was, but I didn't know why, you know, but I knew who Johnny Carson was. And I knew that Merv Griffin, you know, we watched that show and my mom watched that show every afternoon. And it was like, well, obviously this guy must be a big deal because these guys are, treating him like he's the Aga Khan, you know, I yeah. mean, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> so it's like, you kind of just accepted it. Like, well, all right. If Johnny Carson thinks this guy is pretty special, I he must be that. pretty special. I guess yeah. so. I mean, Orson, I, I can remember Orson Welles would come on to Johnny Carson and not even be promoting anything. Mm-hmm. He would just come on just to talk. He would just come on talk. and just tell stories. Let me tell you about meeting Winston Churchill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're like, wow. All right. Cool. Uh, okay. All right. That's great. You know? <laughs> um, so do you, is it a film that you find, that you watch repeatedly or, or, you know, I mean, some people don't watch movies repeatedly at all, but I mean, do you watch it every so often or how often do you engage with it? Not, not recently. Usually with movies like this, I'll go through a phase where I'll go through like a six month period and I'll watch something four times, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and, and kind of use it with fresh eyes and then not see it again for another five years. So it's been a while, you know, prior to preparing for this, um, that I, I hadn't seen it in quite a while. So it was fascinating to, to give it a rewatch. And it's really interesting because how things change over time. You know, when I first saw it in the 80s, the newsreel portion, which, you know, we'll talk about later, was a common thing. Everybody knew what those newsreels were. I'm not sure that that is such a common thing for people to know about anymore. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. news on the march. You know, I used to watch the biography, the old version <laughs> with Albert Einstein. And, you know, <laughs> I'm Peter Graves. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, those things were pretty common in the, you know, in entertainment and not so much anymore. Yeah. It's a, it, a lot of stuff. Uh, people my age uh, know a lot of stuff from the forties Thanks to Warner Brothers cartoons. Sure. You know, that was really like the the, yeah. the delivery system for a lot of references that uh, people my age or kids my age didn't understand if they didn't watch Warner Brothers cartoons. But, of course, they made a ton of jokes and they made jokes about 1940s characters like, you know, Bing Crosby or Winston Churchill. We just mentioned mm-hmm. or even like newsreels like it was stuff of the 40s. Right. And so I was sort of vaguely aware of some of these things, thanks to the pop culture that I took in. And I've mentioned this on other podcasts. Like I used to watch, um, there was a local um, uh, UHF station out of Philadelphia called channel 48 that just ran old movies on Sunday afternoons. And they they generally switched between the universal monsters or Abbott and Costello sure. uh, or the Blondie films, uh, oh, the, the, yeah. the, the 97 Blondie films that they made. Penny <laughs> um, <laughs> Singleton and Arthur yeah. Lake. And, uh, and I, you know, I picked up a lot of that stuff from the forties from those movies. So I think by the time I got to Citizen Kane, a lot of this made sense to me because it was references that I understood. But yeah, I wonder if you right. told someone who uh, was say born uh, in the 21st century and is like 18, 19 now, and you'd say, what's a newsreel? They'd be like, I, I don't know. I don't even know. What, what is that? I don't even understand what that is. I mean, is that like a Twitter thing? I mean, I don't yeah. even know what a newsreel yeah, really yeah, is. Right. So, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, it must be at, at, up at the top of the Twitter feed. Didn't they yeah, right. Yeah. Really yeah. Like, yeah. Does that run at the top of Twitter? Is, is that like a hashtag? Is anything <laughs> like that? So, um, so what do you make of the contention that it is the greatest film of all time? Do you think that any film can earn that title? Or do you think that uh, if, if, it, if, yeah. if a movie can, Citizen Kane is the greatest of all time? The GOAT? Yeah, I, I think, um, I, I, ultimately, I don't think it's something that really 
can be identified. But sure. you know, take a take a great movie, and I, I think about a great movie while we're talking about Orson Welles. I think about like The Third Man. I think that's okay. a great great movie. But Citizen Kane has a much more uh, mature kind of and sophisticated narrative technique, and the camera work is. You know, I know we don't talk about it here, but you know, like the camera going through when they, um, you know, go to uh, see um, Susan. Uh, f- when they first go to see Susan, it goes through the the um, the oh, roof the sign in yeah, the top of her. Yeah, yeah. Restaurant. I mean, really, really sophisticated camera work. The narrative technique is just, uh, you know, I can only imagine what it must have been like in 1941 to see this. And you take another movie like Rear Window. I think you know a, a movie that people would consider a great movie. One of my all-time favorites. Yeah, mine too. This again. I think is better than that in terms of the narrative technique. And, you know, I just basically, if somebody came to me and said, this is the greatest movie, I wouldn't argue with them. That's Mm -hmm. how I would put it. You know, I don't think though, this is a movie, you know, they talk about putting a a movie in a, you know, shoot it up. So aliens can see (laughs) and learn. I would not do this. (laughs) Not this one. They'd be like, I don't, I think we're going to skip this. We're going to skip the year. This timeline makes no sense. I don't understand it. It's all it's all jumbled. It's very yeah, strange. It's a, what's yeah, there are there are some movies. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, and every time I'm going to I'm going to ask every guest the, that question, and obviously there is no right answer. Greatest is such a uh, nebulous term. I will say though that there are movies that I love, like Citizen Kane, that I would say I belong in the conversation. If you're going to give out that. Yeah, that prize. Definitely. And then there were movies that I love that I would not say yeah. uh, deserve that prize. You know what Alan I mean? Too, your sister's a werewolf. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I like, I love uh, murder on the Orient express, the right. 1975 Sidney Lumet film. Albert I've seen Sidney, that movie. Right. Yeah. I've seen yeah. that movie dozens of times. I love it. I would not, I would never suggest it's the greatest film no, of all no, time. No. You know, great. now room window, maybe I maybe mm-hmm. be willing Sydney, to throw that argument out. Or two, 2001, it, yeah. a space odyssey, or, even like Pulp Fiction or Lawrence of Arabia, but but yeah, it's it, there are those movies that you know you love yeah. and you think they're the greatest, but you know that wow, you know, in, in know. the grand historical, <laughs> you know, pantheon, no, it's not the greatest of all time. But that's fine. Sure. But yeah, I mean, I said I I always think I think it's going to be interesting hearing everybody's different take mm-hmm. uh, across this question as we go through. So okay, all right, fair enough. So there we so go. all right, we're going to get to the the minutes. I said this uh, this episode is covering um, minutes five through ten. They open with the news footage of uh, Kane's funeral, and it is going to end talking about Kane's political career. And uh, my guest in the previous episode, our first episode, April, April Snowings, my pal, uh, talks about, she mentioned, and it hadn't really occurred to me until she said it, that this newsreel section is about nine minutes long. Mm-hmm. I hadn't realized it went on that long <laughs> because as I was doing the notes for this episode and I'm going, oh, we're doing five to ten, I'm like, Boy, at the end of 10, we're still in the newsreel yes. footage. It's yeah. an, I mean, Orson was, Orson Welles was really, and Joseph Mankiewicz, of course, or excuse me, Herman Mankiewicz. Herman, right. Um, Herman. So many Mankiewicz's. Uh, Herman Mankiewicz were really expecting the audience to kind of dig in, uh, on this whole notion of the newsreel telling Kane's life for it, for the sequence to go on that long. That, that's an extraordinary, length of time to ask your and we know people in the 40s have a much longer attention span than we do now fair enough um that's even so though that's a very long sequence so yeah this entire episode is going to still just be talking about 
the newsreel footage. And as we mentioned, it opens up with the, the funeral of Kane. And then again, as I said in the previous episode, not too many movies open with the death mm-hmm. of the main character. Mm-hmm. And you really do got to wonder, like, where is this movie going? I mean, where, where, where is there to go after this? And right after the initial footage of them carrying out the coffin, we get our first full shot of Orson Welles in his old mage cane makeup. And then we pan out and see that it's a newspaper mm-hmm. and there's the headline, Charles Foster Kane dies after lifetime of service, which is what a headline for the inquiry to run. But I mean, this is yeah. our first shot. And I have to wonder, uh, you know, I mean, we see Orson Welles on the poster. There's many different posters, Citizen Kane, but you have to wonder, it doesn't, it look, you could tell, obviously at this point, you know, that that's Orson Welles. But I have to wonder if what audiences were thinking when they first saw him, if they even recognized Orson Welles. Because, of course, Orson Welles was 25 yeah, when 25. he made this film, which is, I mean, boy, I'm double Orson Welles' age at this point. That's, <laughs> what have I, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't, Rob. I feel so great about my accomplishments right now. Uh, <laughs> but, but nevertheless, I have to wonder if people didn't even know that that was Orson Welles, because it doesn't really look like him unless you know to, you know that that's who we're talking about. Right, right. And I I think that, you know, obviously back then they would have been more used to watching these newsreels. But I think that this newsreel setup is really critical to the success of this movie. Why this movie makes sense. Because it tells, you know, news on the march. And it, te- yeah, it tells his whole story, right? Um, it tells about his life, at least the public um, view, perception of his life in really broad strokes. And it all of these broad strokes get filled in later in the movie and it bounces around in time. So it's not like really a linear narrative, but it really gives you a good anchor into his life and to the movie you're about to see. And you don't see the events themselves, but you see how people, you know, from the outside thought about this famous public man. It's a really like a 30,000 foot view of him. And it's like the rest of the movie is like an impressionist painting. It fills (laughs) in these gaps and, you know, the audience doesn't have to worry about the plot anymore once they see the newsreel. Um, it's and the funny thing is, is that you have in this newsreel, there are like reverse Easter eggs where when you watch it again, you're like, look at that. Yeah. Oh, yep. that's what he's talking about. And it really pays off in multiple viewings because of this, of the way that this newsreel kind of sets the rest of the movie up. Yeah, it really is a, a brilliant conceit of setting up the movie this way. Is because, yeah, as we go through his life, and as you talked about, it is kind of an impressionist sort of painting, the way they do it, by by anchoring you in the beginning, by giving you all of the people that are going to be important yeah. to his life. Walter Thatcher, his first wife, his child, uh, later Susan Oliver. When they come along in the story, you're already oriented. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, this is the first wife, and we know this right. is not going to end well. Oh, this is Susan Oliver. And now you don't have to waste time introducing everybody. You've already done it. You can do the shorthand of this is his mistress. This is his mm-hmm. wife. This is the president. Mm-hmm. She's the president's daughter. All that kind of stuff. And it's it. It's really an amazing way. It, it, you, it, you, as you're watching the newsreel section, you're not sure what's important or what isn't. Right. But then when it comes along, you go, aha. Okay. Yep. Now I know who this yep. is. And think about how many other movies that have to introduce a lot of characters waste so much time because totally. you know they have to they have to introduce oh well you're the brother of so and so and there you get some clunky you know pipe laden scene yeah. where they're how's explaining dad? yeah how's dad doing well you know you know yeah oh you yeah. know dad that is such oh, a thing yeah. with me any movie that we're getting off track but any movie <laughs> where 
siblings refer to each other as brother or sister drive me nuts because never. I'm like, nobody talks like <laughs> nobody. that. I've never referred to one of my siblings by sister or brother in mm. my entire life. People do not talk like that. And I understand in a movie, you got to set that up. But when I hear a character say, you know, sis, I just cringe. I'm like, no, find a better way to yes. give me this information. You need a newsreel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how you need to do it. You need to do news on the march for every yes. one of these movies. So. <laughs> Um, I thought it was funny that uh, in the, the first shot we see, of, again, as I mentioned, the newspapers, the Daily Inquirer, Charles Foster Kane dies of, after a lifetime of service. If you look, at, <laughs> there is one, uh, there's one, two, three, basically four different stories that we're seeing here with, and then there's a headline, there's each, they each have a headline and then they have a sub headline. So you've got the headline, which I already went, uh, already uh, read, and then you've got finds a place in U.S. Hall of Fame. Entire nation mourns great publisher as outstanding American. End mm-hmm. comes for editor at his Xanadu estate after illness of months. Kane called world's best philanthropist and world leaders express grief for publisher. This is setting the idea of how absurdly important yes. Kane's own paper considered him because nobody outside of a president <laughs> gets every story at the above the fold when they die in a newspaper. Yeah. FDR did, you know, Whit and Winston Churchill, uh, but but a newspaper publisher? No, he doesn't no. get all five stories. But of course, this is his own paper, so they have to underscore. Boy, is this guy important? Every, it's almost like there is no other news right now because Charles Foster Kane has died. Like, right. Wow. Okay. Everybody. Was this a slow news day? In yeah. Right. Exactly. Wasn't, yeah. Wasn't there? Wasn't there? Wasn't, I think there's a lot going on in there. Stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we go through this rapid succession of papers. We see yeah, all these different headlines. And uh, death calls. Pub, death calls. Publisher Charles uh, Kane. Stormy career ends for U.S. fascist number one. Yeah. That's a hell of a headline. That's quite one. Kane, sponsor of democracy, comma dies. Great headline there. And then we see all we have all it's one after the other. In fact, they actually go by faster than you can really read them. And then we see each photo of Orson Welles in his cane uh, makeup. He's kind of getting younger with each one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're seeing about all these different versions. And then we see there's some foreign language papers. Uh, mm-hmm. There's one in Russian, I believe, and there's one in uh, Chinese or, or Japanese. And then we finally get this headline where from the actual newsreel to 44 million U.S. news buyers, more newsworthy than the names in his own headlines was Kane himself. Greatest newspaper tycoon of this or any generation, any other generation. Wow. What a sentence construction that is. Yeah. It's a lot of commas and stuff. <laughs> a lot of commas. I th- I tend to write one on sentences, but even I would be like, that's <laughs> yeah. a little, that's a little run. I think we could put a period. We could break somewhere. this up somehow. Yeah, yeah. We could break this up a little bit here. <laughs> uh, and again, because we, of course we have, uh, uh, you know, the, William Allen doing the narration, explaining all this. We see the initial, the uh, beginnings of the, mm-hmm. the humble Kane empire, which is this uh, destroyed building. And we see, you know, it's, it's all run down. And then we get some nice piece of animation. Orson Welles throughout Citizen Kane will not miss a trick in terms of using every single tool in his toolbox mm-hmm. to convey this film. And right off the bat, we've got even some animation. Uh, which is great. I mean, again, there's like an animation, I guess, RKO had an animation department. And we see the the map of the United States as it existed, of course, there's 48 states. And we see all the different papers and they're radiating out. And we see through their little little Aquaman sound effects, you know, they're overlapping. So Kane's markets are so huge that he is essentially covering the entire country with his papers one way or the other. And in an age that we're living in where we talk about, consolidated uh, conglomerate 
you know, media, mm-hmm. uh, you know, back then that wasn't a, it's not a great idea now. And it wasn't a great idea then to have kind of all your news sources kind of coming essentially from one guy. Yeah. And and I think that's touched on a lot later, even in the newsreel that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that wasn't such a great idea. So then we see the beginning and the, the history of how, you know, how did he become so wealthy? And we see that the, the little storefront that his mother ran and uh, he talked about all the industries. And I love a, this again, William Allen is great with the this industry. I mean, it just sounds so perfect, uh, you know, and then they explain how he, again, like you said, he ended up being rich is that uh, Orson, Orson, I'm going to be constantly oh, yeah. overlapping yeah. Orson Welles and Citizen Kane. Kane's uh, mother had a boarding house and they had a uh, defaulting uh, renter, and uh, he ends up, uh, you know, not paying his bill. He ends up skipping out on town, and so of course that allows the mother to claim whatever possession possessions were in the room, which in this case was the uh, basically the property deed for the Colorado load. Oh yeah, and uh, that's again that's another thing that I think people of a certain age wouldn't even know what that means. Like the, mm-hmm. the word load yeah. is an old word. Like nobody uses that word anymore. But back then, you know, when I was a young man, I knew what it meant. I knew what it, mm-hmm. you know, it was the mother the, load. The mother load, yeah, exactly. Uh, and we get our first shot of Agnes Moorhead yeah. as uh, as uh, as Charles Walter Kane's mother, and then young Kane, played by Buddy Swan. We will talk about their career when they actually appear appear proper in the film. Here we're just seeing pictures of them. Then we have a painting of Mrs. Kane's boarding house. We get this big zoom in, and then there's again the shot of the. Uh, Colorado load. And I talked about this in the first episode. It's like how much of this stock footage, you know, was cribbed from other sources. So think about that. There's probably maybe half a dozen stock footage directors out there who can claim that some of their footage is in the greatest film of all time. Yeah. They were in Citizen Kane and uh, an Ed Wood movie. Yeah, that's, that's right. No, I can make a whole movie out of this stuff. Yeah. It's a bunch of mysterious explosions. It's, the army is called it. No one knows what's causing them, but it's scaring all the buffalo. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so uh, after the uh, after the, the mention of the Colorado load, uh, we get uh, basically kind of the first main character of this film. And it is uh, Walter Thatcher, the guy who is in charge of uh, Kane's fortune played by George Kouloris. And George Kouloris had a uh, long, long career in Hollywood. He died in 1989. He was in movies like Murder on the Orient Express. I just mentioned that. He's in that movie. It's great. Papillon, Hitchcock's I Accuse, Watch on the Rhine. I mean, yeah, it's great. A really great career. And we see him here in uh, old age makeup talking about uh, the uh, the Keynes uh, contracts and what he's going to be doing. And it's sort of funny that this film already kind of opens with a a slightly historical non sequitur in that this date, if you go by the dates by they give you here, um, this would be around the 19, this would be around 1925 when okay. this footage is taking place. And of course there would be no sound. There's wow. sound there. There would be no sound for this, but it doesn't matter because you're not supposed to think about that. <laughs> maybe it was like, you know, combining the radio version and the, and yeah, maybe the right. Maybe so. Maybe so. So everybody, virtually everybody, uh, in Citizen Kane is going to have to undergo the makeup treatment. I don't think anybody uh, escapes the old person makeup. I, I think, uh, I guess Dorothy Cummingor g- gets the least of it, uh, mm. but everybody here had to sit through uh, their, the, this, this putty job. And yeah. so anyway, we see Walter Thatcher talking to this sort of board of trustees and these government people. One of them actually gets a line. I looked him up. You don't ever see his face. He's an actor named Peter Allen. He is credited as man at committee. 
He only has two credits, the second and last of which is Citizen Kane. So uh, what a way to go out. Uh, <laughs> we see everybody again, and, and then the, they're, kind of, they're kind of mocking Thatcher a little bit. And they even have the line about, didn't uh, one of them, even uh, uh, this man at committee even says to Thatcher, didn't, uh, didn't young Kane strike you in the stomach with a sled? Spoiler is, alert. Uh, spoiler alert. A, sl- a line that, of course, if you watch this movie, goes right by because yeah. it doesn't seem important. And yet, wow, they're dropping in a kind of big moment of the movie in this offhanded line. Totally. And that sled, I mean, I don't know how much you're spoiling this movie, but, um, <laughs> you know, the sled here, you know, it's when you see it later, it's the last toy when he was like, he was out sledding when he came in yep. and was given away to this Thatcher fella. And the sled was the last toy he played with as a, as an innocent kid. Mm-hmm. And it's his first weapon when he strikes Thatcher with it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this sled lo- does loom large in his life. It, it's a recurring motif throughout his life. So then we get, uh, uh, we get some more stock rope, stock footage. And then they talk about that, uh, the cane is, uh, people accused him of being a fascist. Now there's a scene here again, a wonderful piece of, uh, of uh, Orson Welles' sleight of hand is that we see this stock footage of massive throngs of people in some sort of town square. I mean, literally thousands of people. Then we cut to footage that is obviously shot for the movie of a man. And by the way, I could not find who this guy is, even though he has a lot, even though he has a couple of lines, uh, there are a bunch of people on IMDb credited as man and newsreel, and it's not specific. So I couldn't figure out who this guy is. Anyone out there listening, if you know who this actor is, let me know. I want to I identify everybody in this movie. But this guy is going on and on about how Charles Foster Kane is a communist and a fascist. No, he's a, he, he is what he's always been, yes. uh, uh, a fascist. Yeah, that's, that's in Union Square. In uh, right, yeah, uh, right. There you go. And, and I'm glad you mentioned the, 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 the stuttering because I think that really gives – uh, already right off the bat this film a real naturalistic quality yeah. generally when you hear actors actors do not are not allowed to stutter mm-hmm. their line in any way they retake that line but here the way the guy says he goes we are always what he has been a, a communist and it sounds utterly real it sounds yeah. like a what a real person would sound like not an actor and i love that wells either intended that to be the take or left that take in because it it blends with the stock footage perfectly. Right. And of course, what's Wells doing here? He's, per- we are pretending that this guy is speaking to tens of thousands of people when we mm-hmm. literally see one guy, guy behind, but because right. he has stitched this together so effortlessly, yeah. it seems like, wow, this, this movie must've been a big, but this is like the burning of Atlanta. This is so many people in this movie. And it's nope. like, no, it's just one guy and some the stock guy. footage that they yeah. created from the RKO library. So, and, and what's really interesting here is you have, Thatcher, on the one hand, who is, you know, a capitalist and who is, you know, definitely uh, on the right, uh, calling Kane a communist. And you have here a union guy. So Union Square is a place where they had a lot of kind of radicalist union rallies back in the day, leftist stuff. And so the guy on the right calls him a communist and the guy on the left calls him a fascist. (laughs) So it's just like everybody just saw, you know, these people see him as an enemy some some types of people see Kane as an enemy and then Kane 
suggests that he's just an American. Yeah, but there's the quote. I am and have been only one thing, an American. And we get our first piece of footage of Orson Welles in old age makeup as Charles Fulcher Charles King defending himself in front of a, a microphone. And uh, again, that's and then we see him again there. And again, the uh, the footage has been uh, degraded, mm-hmm. uh, as we talked about again in episode one, that apparently editor Robert Wise took the footage out out of the parking lot and scraped it and threw dirt on it to to, to dirty it up. And you can also see that um, this footage with uh, with Wells here in the old age makeup is overexposed a little bit. Like it's a little too bright. It doesn't quite match the other stuff, which of course it would because it's old footage. It's not stuff that was preserved like it was Gone with the Wind. It's newsreel footage. So again, it's right. just got that great little piece of verisimilitude that it looks a little faded which is which is how it should look and then then we get a cryon it says 1895 to 1941 all of these years he covered many of these he was which is a sense that just makes your head hurt yeah and it's like what that's not even a what does that even mean and so we're going through all of the big historical moments that came and it reminds you a lot of um if anyone has seen it anymore the woody allen movie zelig which is about a guy who is like a chameleon and he has managed to appear alongside all the famous people of history, and he just sort of blends in the background. And here we get Kane appearing on the back of a train with Teddy Roosevelt, the oh, Teddy yeah. Roosevelt. Yeah. Uh, the actor playing Teddy Roosevelt is a man named Thomas A. Curran. He died in 1941. This Ooh. is his last film. This is his wow. last film. Yeah, yeah. Again, a great way to go out. He doesn't get any lines. Uh, we don't uh, actually see, hear him at all, but he looks exactly like Teddy Roosevelt. And of yeah. course, black and white covers a lot of sins. Yes. Because yeah. you don't have to worry about skin tone or hair color. It's, the minute you see him, you know who it is. That's Teddy yeah. Roosevelt. Give him a big mustache. Give him a big Smile. mustache. And the, yeah. Yeah. There yeah. you go. And then we see some protests. There are these great, there's a great drawing of uh, somebody doing a kind of demonic caricature of Kane. And it says, don't read Kane. And it's again, it's a really great drawing of like, okay, they had somebody in the RK art department, obviously draw a parody of Orson Welles, but make him look as nefarious and withered as possible. It's, I, it makes me so sad to think that all these props are almost assuredly, uh, you know, gone. They, they don't exist anymore. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's too bad. It's great. I just love that. Again, you never see anything like that. So then we have some more stock footage of the newspapers, uh, going. Uh, and I don't know about, I don't know about you. I mean, newspapers are still a thing as of this recording, but like, I, we'll I can't, yeah, right. We'll see what tomorrow breaks. You think about like how much, I don't know. I look at newspapers. I'm like, how did anything ever get printed back then? It mm. looks like it was just so much work, yeah. just so much legwork having to settle that type by yeah. hand. Oh my Lord. You know, just, yeah. woo, oh man. Um, and then we get more footage of Teddy Roosevelt. Says, we want Roosevelt. And then they're talking about how the, in the narration that there was virtually no candidate that uh, Kane wouldn't be seen with either uh, either uh, endorse uh, or renounce, sometimes uh, endorse, then renounce. And yeah. there's this footage of him with these unnamed generals. We see all these guys in their like our, our army frippery. And they've got all these medals. They look kind of like a General Lisa Francisco Franco kind of type. Mm-hmm. Then we get to a very ominous shot of Kane on a balcony standing next to Adolf Hitler. Yeah. And remember, this was released in 41, but filming stopped in November of 40. This is quite a bit before we got into World War II. Yep. 
And, you know, he looks, Kane is standing on the, on the balcony with Hitler. And it says, you know, he's, he supported him. Then he denounced him, but he looks pretty uneasy on that balcony. And I'm wondering, you know, I know in historical retrospect, how I take it, you know, as of course he would, well, he may have supported Hitler for a while, but then he denounced them. Well, but what was, what was this attitude like when they made this movie? And um, I'm not sure what it was at the time. Yeah, I mean, right. We didn't get in. America did not get into the war until December 7th, 1941, the full three months after Citizen Kane came out. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this was kind of ahead a of the curve a little bit in terms right. of, uh, you know, presenting Hitler. And you hear that uh, wonderful Bernard Herrmann sting, <laughs> you know, when he says, you know, support, then denounce. And you hear like the, you know, the low note. of dun. Uh, The actor, by the way, I love this. This is my favorite piece of trivia that I found for this, uh, this episode. The actor playing Hitler. Once again, gets no lines, but you just give the guy a little Hitler mustache and you yeah, put a swat stick on his arm and he's Hitler. His name, Carl Eckberg. He died in 1976. He played Hitler in no less than four movies. Wow. So clearly he had the market cornered on playing Hitler. He looked like Hitler. And I guess, I guess. you know, I, you know, a check's a check. Uh, he played Hitler in, of course, this film. He played Hitler in a movie called Manhunt, uh, which is actually, I've seen that movie. That's a really good movie. Uh, so. a, a Cary Grant movie called Once Upon a Honeymoon, which to me is that. very funny that a movie with that title has Hitler in it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and a movie called The Wife Takes a Flyer, which just sounds like a delightful romantic comedy. But you have to remember, you know, the, the, the war in Europe was on everyone's minds in America. Yeah. And so, you know, that was, a, that was on your mind, even if you weren't necessarily involved with, it wasn't a war movie. It could mm-hmm. still be involved. So yeah, this guy, this guy, he was your guy in the forties. Yeah. You want to get him to play Hitler? He's your dude. He's your man. He's your man. So there you go. Um, uh, so. Then there's another card, and it says, few private lives were more public, which, again, talk about being ahead of its time. I mean, God, mm-hmm. Charles Foster Kane would have a massive Twitter feed oh, at this point brutal. if he was around. And uh, we see him in front of the White House, and we see that he is, he is marrying the president's daughter. Now, they never specifically get into who this president is. Presumably, the man on the right is the president. Uh, they don't say that explicitly, but I always took it that he is the president, and I mean, this is supposed to be around 1925-ish or something like that or a little right. bit. So, like, you know, what is it, Calvin Coolidge? Is it mm. – it's more, It's probably just one of those – it's just the president. It's not supposed probably to be Probably Woodrow supposed Wilson, to. I would say. Is that could be own. Woodrow Wilson too. That's true. It could be any of those – any of those older guys old enough to, to have a, a, an adult daughter. And we see that uh, that is actress Ruth Warwick. Ruth Warwick. We will get to her credits when she actually appears again proper in the film. Here we don't – we see her, but uh, once again, we don't uh, – she doesn't get any lines. And then they tell you right off the bat in a piece of newspaper footage that she and uh, her son, uh, Charles Foster Kane III, will die in a motor accident. I mean yep. that's, again, a lot of information is being dispensed very quickly and very almost offhandedly. This movie spoils itself. <laughs> Absolutely. Again, he's, you got to wonder what else is there to reveal here. Yeah. Uh, so then, then we see Kane with Dorothy, uh, with Orson Welles with Dorothy Cumming or Susan Alexander. And uh, we see there's a playbill, by the way, I thought it was interesting in the first playbill that you see, it looks as though her name is misspelled. Mm-hmm. It looks like it's S U Z A N 
And then uh. the, all the remaining playbills, it's S-U-S-A-N, because, of course, that's the typical spelling, which to me, again, suggests a sort of um, haphazard career mm-hmm. that she sort of had that they don't even bother to get the name right, spelling right. And then we see a um, wonderfully cribbed piece of cobbled together photo of an older cane with Susan Oliver, Susan Oliver, I'm combining names. Yeah. Susan Oliver. I'd be Dorothy coming or playing Susan Oliver. And then a bunch of like, their sort of jet set friends sitting in front of uh, presumably um, Xanadu. And it's kind of mm-hmm. clumsy. We could see that the, it, they're clearly, they almost look like color forms the way they're pasted over the background, yeah. but, uh, but it's black and white. So again, you get away with a lot. And then we get <laughs> another uh, far away shot of, uh, of Xanadu behind all this massive, massive forest. So, I mean, man, again, this movie is just throwing a ton at you very fast. Yeah. And what I really like about the, the, these two weddings is, you know, the first one with the president's niece with Emily Norton, it's very, you know, everybody's in tuxes and having a good, you know, it seems like a very formal but relaxed wedding. The second wedding is chaos. Yeah. Right? Susan Alexander, right? They're, they're kind of coming out of the courthouse in Trenton, New Jersey and into a throng of photographers and, and it's, it's madness. They're struggling to get through the crowd. It's fascinating. And, and she, Susan has my favorite later, not, not in this five minutes. She has my favorite line in this movie. Well, hooray for the bulldog. (laughs) (laughs) So I have a soft spot in my heart for Susan. There, there are really no bad performances in this movie. Yeah, you know, so I mean, there really aren't. It's kind of amazing. And I think, I don't know. I mean, you know, we've all seen, we've all seen hundreds, thousands of movies at this point. And, and, um, you know, we see actors go from film to film and you, you don't get bogged down. And it really, you can, you can transpose that, oh, Bruce Willis is John McClane in this movie. And he's also this guy in this other movie. That said, it's interesting that outside of Orson Welles and Joseph Cotton, this film really didn't produce any other movie stars. Mm. Uh, Dorothy Cumming Orr and Ruth Warwick and Ed- Edward uh, Edward Sloan and uh, Ever- excuse me Edward Everett Sloan. Um, none of them went on yeah. to giant to be giant movie stars. Agnes Moorhead. Agnes Moorhead would be the closest. Got anything? Yeah. Right, and she's barely in it. But I mean, yeah. they really this movie didn't for 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 you know being the greatest film of all time this film really didn't launch a lot of giant hollywood careers partly again because sure. a lot of these actors are older but i think that almost helps the film because so many of these people are still to this day relatively unknown mm-hmm. um if you know if you go to citizen kane watching it as you know you want you watch it today as an older film it's not like the film is populated with cary grant you know, right. and Humphrey Bogart and Catherine Hepburn. And you're like, oh, I've seen all these people. These are all kind of unfamiliar faces for the most yeah. part. So yeah. I think it, it works on that level. I think there were a lot of them were part of his Mercury Theater, right? Yep. Yeah, they it's, virtually all were. Yeah. So, I mean, really, the, the voices in this in this movie are fantastic. Just the way that people speak and just they have such snappy um, line deliveries. It's fantastic. And I, yeah, I I have read a lot of books about uh, Orson Welles. I've read a lot of books about Citizen Kane in particular, and I have never, I, if, if I read it, I don't remember it. Maybe I should go back and, and, and try and brush up before I f- move further on to the show. But I mean, it's interesting to me that, um, you know, as you said, al- almost virtually everybody in this film, outside of uh, Dorothy Cummingore, who was new, uh, he brought, these are all his Mercury Theater players. Right. And at this point, they had to have been very loyal to Orson Welles. Uh, first of all, he's bringing them out to Hollywood. 
You know, these are all theater actors or radio actors, and here they're getting a shot at a big time Hollywood film thanks to their leader. But at the same time, like we also know, we, you know, we've read stories, we've heard things about that Orson Welles was, you know, even when he was a radio guy through War of the Worlds and other things, he was kind of the infant terribly of yeah. massacring that French. But I mean, he was not, he was a rule breaker in radio. Right. And you have to figure that that bonded him to his crew. So, of course, when they go out to Hollywood, he was already breaking rules there and sort of working around the RKO uh, brass. And you got to figure that all these people were in were you know, were in on the joke. They were in on it with Orson because he was their fearless leader. But they were they were a bonded troop. And that, again, something probably very unique for 1941 to have a, a group of actors that traveled from this bunch of projects onto this film where they were all just like, all right, this this is this is our guy. And so they were probably completely okay with all the different rules that Orson was willing to break because they, this is, they knew this guy. They knew who yeah. he was. And this rule breaking got him here, got him yeah. to Hollywood. Yeah. There's a great, um, there's a great detail, by the way, on the Orson, on the Orson, again, again, doing it again, on the Citizen Kane Blu-ray, that film comes with, uh, that Blu-ray comes with two audio commentaries, one by the great Peter Bogdanovich and one by the late, great Roger Ebert. And uh, I've listened to them both repeatedly. Roger Ebert tells a story about that right after uh, Wells started shooting Citizen Kane, um, he was told by his visiting pal, John Ford, again, what a friend to have, John Ford, yeah. um, that one of the supposed crew members assigned to him from RKO was in fact a spy, an inner office Ooh. spy from RKO who was reporting back to the brass what <laughs> Wells was doing on any given day. Yeah. And uh, Ford basically kind of gave him the advice of like, you got to get this guy out of here. And they did, they ended up oh. and, and the big, you know, the, one of the famous stories that comes from this film is that uh, Wells told everyone that was not part of the in group that they were just rehearsing. And what he was doing was actually shooting the film. They were right. literally shooting. He was pretending that they were shooting rehearsals, <laughs> but they were actually filming the movie. So, yeah. Again, I, I just love this guy. You know, I just love yeah. this guy. I mean, he could be difficult. We heard he could be very, very difficult. Uh, you know, if you just uh, watch the, the movie Mank. Yeah, I mean, you know, but uh, still, you gotta. He wanted to get this accomplished. So this uh, ten minutes ends with more stock footage of the newspapers. We see there's an extra coming, and again, we're still. We are still in the newsreel footage. That's how long the sequence is going on. We are not done yet. But, I mean, it's in just these five minutes, we have met how many new people? We've met Thatcher. We've mm -hmm. met uh, we've met his mother. We've met Kane as a young boy. Mm -hmm. We've met uh, his first wife. We've met his second wife. We found out that he was this massive political figure outside of a business tycoon. I mean, there's a lot of information being dispensed, and it is, is going to – Again, as a phrase I used in the first episode, it's going to pay dividends as you watch the movie because you're going to totally. have all this backstory that you've already been given. And you get to, as you said, it's a paint by numbers sort of. You're like, oh, OK, this is three, two, one. It's all, mm -hmm. And it's all coming together. So it's, again, a great, you know, like it was in the first five minutes, a great second five minutes. Great way to open this movie. Yeah, it's fantastic. So uh, is there anything else you want to say about Citizen Kane before we wrap up here, Jerry? Uh, just listening to you go through all this makes me want to watch it again. And I <laughs> yeah, just I, yeah, me too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like I was. We were talking about what movie to watch today, and I was like, I kind of want to watch it as a game again, even though I watch it every five minutes. It's amazing. Yeah, it's. A, I can't wait. Uh, I mentioned in the uh, 
the intro in the first episode that uh, Fathom Events is going to be showing Citizen Kane for its 80th anniversary in September. And I mean, I am going, I have not been to a movie uh, in the theater in a year because of, you know, and I'm hoping that by the time some other movies come out this summer, that uh, everything, I will have had my shots and everyone else hopefully Mm -hmm. will have had their shots and we will be able to uh, achieve some semblance of normalcy and I'll be able to go back to seeing movies if if I can't though, if for some reason things get slowed down, the one that I'm really hoping for is September. I'm like I don't want to miss seeing Citizen Kane in the theater, yeah. and I might even even. Well, look, I mean, if we're still under COVID restrictions in September, things have gotten bad. really bad. Yeah, things have really gone, gone bad. Yeah. Some's gone real south, but I might still even risk it uh, because that's mm. how badly I want to see Citizen Kane in the theater again. I- I'm thinking of getting a spacesuit. Yeah, right. It's like a giant hazmat suit. You can just yeah, come in exactly. and somehow just, can I get my pretzel bites under the mat? All right, I'll figure that out. So, uh, well, and Jerry, I mean, thank you so much for, for doing this. We, again, we have never recorded uh, together before. I listened to your show and, uh, I really appreciate you doing this with me. It was great talking to you. Thanks so much, Rob. It was fantastic. Why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet? You bet. You can find me on Twitter at Professor Frenzy. Uh, I have the Professor Frenzy Show, which is a uh, podcast about indie comics and that I do with my podcast partner, Chris. You can see him at BTO and Bat Books. Uh, we have a, a Facebook page, the Professor Frenzy Show page. We're on Instagram at Professor Frenzy. Um, and you can go on YouTube and visit us on YouTube at uh, youtube.com slash Professor Frenzy, all one word. And that's that's where you can find us. Excellent. Uh, I have done an episode of one of my other shows for all mankind with Chris. So now I have checked off both hosts of the Professor Renzi show. So got my bingo card is completed there. So again, (laughs) thank you so much. Thanks everybody for listening. Of course, uh, we're always talking Citizen Kane over on Twitter at Minute. You can find out all the back episodes of the show on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. And if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So if you want to be named on Citizen Kane Minute, go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. That's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Come back next week for more Citizen Kane Minute. What's the real truth about Charles Foster Kane? I wish you'd come to this theater when Citizen Kane plays here and decide for yourself.